Hey, welcome back to the program. We're going to begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of another day. I thank you for the gift of Lent. And I thank you, Lord, for these successes, as well as the failures, for the failures are very revealing, Jesus. They reveal to us the way the which the ways in which the world, the flesh, and the devil continue to operate in our lives. They reveal to us the weakness of our wills, the disordering of our passions. They reveal to us the concupiscence that continues to exist. Lord, it reveals to us the clouded minds that we have. Holy God, we are poor, blind, weak, and naked, and we turn to you in repentance and we cry out, Lord, grant us the gift of authentic conversion. Lord, we don't want to be lukewarm. We want to be hot or cold. We want to be the proper uh, the proper temperature, the proper uh, way of, of being in this world, Jesus. Please help us to do that today. And we make our prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, sorry, one more. Heavenly Father, please bless Pope Francis, Jesus, as he is uh, in the hospital. Uh, I pray that he is recovering. I pray that he is resting. I pray that the ministry of the doctors would be a means of you caring for him and loving him in this moment. Lord, I just beg you to watch over our Holy Father, Pope Francis. Lord, I pray that he would have the strength and that his strength would recover uh, as Holy Week approaches. Lord, we thank you for this Holy Father, and we ask that you would bless him with every good gift in the heavens. And we do make that prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So I have been fasting in some ways from uh, accessing social media and the internet. And so I stumbled into some notice or notification about the uh, that Pope Francis it was in my email. Pope Francis uh, is in the hospital. I'm like, what is going on? So I did go on the internet to find out what was happening and wasn't able to get a whole bunch of information, but that he was there in, in a like sort of not expected time frame, right? So they had to bring him to the hospital, something about his heart or his breathing on, um, yet was it would have been two nights ago, right? Yesterday evening. And then, um, he is, I, I, I don't know as of like right now I'm recording this on, um, Wednesday night, I haven't received any other new information about his condition. I mean, the last I heard was, I guess it was from uh, five or six hours ago, is that he had a respiratory infection, difficulty breathing, and that it's expected that it would take several days of treatment. So he'll miss probably Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday and, and some of the days into Holy Week. So pray for him, pray for his spiritual, physical, and, and total well-being, that the Lord would um, have his hand of, of blessings upon our Holy Father. So please do that. Please keep him in prayer. So uh, today in the program, I um, if you heard my prayer, you heard that it focused a bit on failures and falling short. And boy, that's a really big part of our spiritual life. If there's something where you want to be able to encourage your kids in their relationship with God and developing their relationship with Jesus. And if you yourself desire to grow in your relationship with Jesus, knowing how to handle faults and failures is a really big deal. 
So I'm going to talk about that in the first part of the program. And then in the second part of the program, I'm going to break open some other ways that we ought to both expect and we can teach our kids to expect the life of Christ to become manifest. The mysteries of Christ's life are going to come alive in us. The mysteries of Christ's life mean the events. These key events in the life of Jesus are somehow intimately connected with our lives. They aren't just events that happened to him, not us, and that happened a long time ago and not now. This is a different way of thinking. It's a different way of thinking about our life of faith. I'm not making it up. This is part of our Catholic Christian tradition for 2,000 years. It shows up very profoundly in the Catechism, paragraphs 529 to 531. It talks all about the ways that the, the mysteries of Christ's life are to be lived by Christ in us. Now, that sounds a bit mysterious, <laughs> uh, confusing. We will discuss it, and I will use a devotion that we use in our family and talk about the way that that devotion can be a means of helping our kids, and, and frankly ourselves, become connected in a way that is vibrant and vital to the mysteries of Christ's life, these, these special events in the life of Christ, okay? So that's what I'll do in the second part of the program. Let's go back to the first part. If you listen to the prayer, you maybe noticed that I referenced one of the seven letters to the seven churches, the letter to the church in Laodicea. And if you remember in that church, right? So, sorry, you remember, right? In, in, in the book of Revelation, John is, is drawn up in ecstasy on the Lord's day, encounters Christ, and after this encounter overwhelms him, Jesus shows him things that are to come. And one of the first things that he encounters are these seven, um, th- these messages that are intended to be delivered to the bishops, the overseers, called here angels of the seven churches in Asia Minor, because that's where John, the evangelist, ended up. He ended up in prison in Patmos. He ended up in Asia Minor. And so these seven cities that are mentioned in uh, Revelations chapter 2 and 3 have some famous like phrases and references, but probably really, frankly, the, the most famous one of all is from Revelation chapter 3, and it talks about being lukewarm. You remember that Jesus will spew you out of his mouth if you're lukewarm. And so uh, this is what it says, because we're going to learn. We're going to learn here about how to deal with faults and failures when we fall short, settle for less, when we sin. How do we deal with it? Learning to deal with that ourselves and learning to help our kids deal with it is a really, really big and important part of our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay, let me start again. I get, now I have my glasses on. <laughs> so to the presiding spirit of the church in Laodicea, that's the angel or is, is the word in Greek, but it also can refer to the overseer or the bishop. 
Write this, the amen, that's Jesus, a title for Jesus, the faithful witness and true, that's again, titles for Jesus, the source of God's creation, the last title of Jesus here, has this to say, I know your deeds. I know you're neither hot nor cold. How I wish you were one or the other, hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. Now, just to let you know, this is not Jesus saying, how I wish you were either all in for me or all in against me, hot or cold. That is not what it means. Uh, Laodicea had a river nearby, and one of the marking, one of the factors about this river is that the water was lukewarm. And if you say, if I said to you, here's a drink, tell me how you like it. Are you ready? Coffee. Guess what? You either like it hot or cold. Uh, iced tea. <laughs> you like it cold. Uh, let me see. Uh, soda. Well, you like it cold. You, you don't like it hot. But there's one thing that it's really, really difficult to find, and that's a drink that you enjoy lukewarm, right? When the coffee gets cool or the tea gets cool, what do you do? You heat it back up. So Jesus is not saying, please be all in for me or all in against me. He's saying, find the proper form of temperature. Find the, the proper way of expressing your call, which is either being hot or cold. It's not by being lukewarm. Lukewarm is being soft, Lukewarm is being cowardly. Lukewarm is, is resisting moving forward in your spiritual life because it's unpleasant. It's not so easy. It involves hardships. Boy, this is a difficult good. It's hard to die to myself. I don't like this. That's lukewarm. That's what it means to be lukewarm. And that's what Jesus is saying. He can't bear he can't bear our cowardice, our mediocrity. He will not suffer through our unwillingness to suffer. Right? You don't fool, suffer fools gladly, right? Willingly. <laughs> Jesus is saying, wake up. Wake up. You're lukewarm. Now, let's find out what they think about themselves. He says, you keep saying, I am so rich and secure, and I want for nothing. Well, Laodicea was, this is again, the letters written to them. This is the message Jesus has for them. Was a wealthy, it was a wealthy town with real industry in it. And so there, were, there was a lot of wealth. There, were, there was a lot of material uh, flourishing. And so I am so rich and secure, and I want for nothing. And isn't that one of the biggest challenges of riches or wealth? Is that it becomes easy to find our security in wealth, find our identity in our wealth. We find ourselves comparing ourselves against each other based on our Wealth. And what does wealth enable? It enables us to get stuff, stuff that will allow us to put on display for in a public way the extent of our riches. And we can take care of our needs that make the life that we have around us be protected from 
hardships and difficulties. Does that help us? Well, if we end up saying we have this wealth, these riches, we have this sense of security connected that the riches provide, if the conclusion is I want for nothing, then we're deluded. Then we are settling. How badly? Listen to what Jesus ends up saying. You keep saying, I'm so rich and secure that I want for nothing. Little do you realize, little do you realize, really do you recognize, little are you aware of, little do you have a sense of, 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 of consciousness that you are wretched, you are pitiable, you are poor, blind, and naked. What? What are you talking about? Wait a minute. I'm I'm wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked? What what does that mean? Well, I I certainly am not naked. I've got plenty of clothes and plenty of stuff to cover myself. Um, I I don't think I'm poor. In fact, it's just the opposite. I've I've got this wealth. Uh, Pitiable? I, I take pity on others because of, of what they lack compared to me. Wretched, what are you talking about? I am I, I'm living in, in luxury. How, how is it that I'm wretched? Well, this is precisely the point. We don't realize it. We don't recognize it. We're not aware of it. We don't accept that idea. And, and what does Jesus say in response? Take my advice. Buy from me gold refined by fire. Gold refined by fire. If you would be truly rich, buy white garments in which to be clothed. If the shame of your nakedness is to be covered, buy ointment to smear on your eyes if you would see once more. Now, one of the industries in Laodicea was the medical industry, especially connected to eyesight. And so Jesus is is literally, in the Word of God, drawing upon the the local industries and knowledge of, of what was happening there, that they had ointments that they would use to attempt to address poor eyesight. And Jesus is saying, I have the ointment that will really grant you sight. And what is this white garments? Didn't they have white clothes available? No, white garments were associated with baptism. The newly baptized, the one cleansed of sins, would receive a white garment. But in addition, there's the idea of a garment being good works. It was deeds. I know your deeds, Jesus starts with. And he's saying, I know your deeds. Your deeds, are you're actually naked when it comes to producing good works, good fruits of your faith. All right, we're up against a break. When we come back, we're going to finish up this great call to repentance coming from Jesus in Revelation 3. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. 
You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. All right, welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. In this part of the program, I'm talking about the importance of repentance in this season of Lent and how in the recent days of Lent, I, it has been revealed to me the ways in which I fall short and need to repent from cowardice, mediocrity, settling for less, especially associated with comfort and with um, the willingness to stay in situations that are very pleasing to me rather than facing hardships and difficulties associated with dying to self in order to produce spiritual fruit that involves uh, living for God. Whoa, that's quite an indictment. That's quite a, well, no, wait a minute. That's quite a gift. That's quite a gift to gain that sight. See, at the beginning of the program, I prayed and I, and I thanked God for the gift of revealing not only the good that comes from following the prayer, fasting, and almsgiving that I set out to do, but also the revelation that comes with failing, falling short, not following through. That's, that's a gift. You see, Jesus is saying that we're blind and that the stuff of this world the stuff of this world that I just talked about repenting from are the kinds of things that will leave us lukewarm. It'll leave us lukewarm. Remember, that's not the proper flavor of almost any beverage, of anything that we would drink. And it is not palatable to Christ either when it comes to our life of faith. He wants us all in. He's called us to be all in. He's called us to be giving of everything that we have and if we don't recognize the fact that we are not doing that, that there's this distance or this gap that exists, we're just not trying. We just might find ourselves in one of the most serious spiritual sicknesses, according to Father Brown, that character of G.K. Chesterton. The most serious illness is the one who thinks he is quite well. That's the most serious illness, the one who thinks he's quite well. And in our time, translate it, Revelation 3, beginning at verse 14, all the way down to 19, it's material wealth that can leave us blind. It can give us a sense of security and that we want for nothing, when in fact, our condition is wretched and pitiable. We're actually poor in the things that matter to God. We're poor because we lack the riches that come from being in God's kingdom. Jesus has said, buy for me gold refined by fire. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. That's gold. When we have God's grace operating in our lives. And the naked, the white garments to be clothed, that's being cleansed of sin. That means um, living from our baptismal purity, living from our baptismal gifts of faith, hope, and love with regards to how we live our day-to-day lives, that's how we're supposed to live. Not relegating the practice of our faith and our consciousness of our life of faith to the corners of our life, to those moments when we are praying and the moments when we're going and doing churchy things and participating in groups or activities that are at church. Uh, Yeah, of course, it should be present in those times, but 
Christ and the consciousness of Christ, Christ and the consciousness of our loving God ought to be present at every moment, in every conversation, in every part of our lives. And so this is the powerful moment in which we live, that Jesus Christ in Lent is showing that he loves us. Listen to what he says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 18 and then 19. He said, by ointment to smear in your eyes if you would see once more. You see, we have to pray because we're not aware of our blindness. We're not aware of our blindness. And, and it's only when we undertake spiritual efforts, spiritual training, the, the efforts to die to self that are happening in Lent, that we will become aware of our mediocrity, of our a lukewarmness that needs to be repented of. And Jesus says this in verse 19, whoever is dear to me, I reprove and chastise. Whoever is dear to me, I reprove. To reprove means what? It means, well, you've been tested and you've been found wanting. And so you will be, um, you will be, uh, punished. You will, you will be, uh, that is going to be addressed. It's going to be called out, chastised, right? There's, there's going to be a comeuppance, uh, repercussions, consequences connected with those failures. He loves us enough to not leave us in spiritual blindness. He loves us enough not to allow us to stay in mediocrity. You want a great Lenten prayer? Jesus, please, I beg you, strip away the blindness that is in my life that is connected to my lukewarmness. Please, Jesus, I do not want to settle for a lukewarm life. And my brothers and sisters, this is so important when your parents, because how you live your life is going to create an atmosphere that will wash over your kids. It'll soak into your kids and it's something that will dawn on them. So if you are willing to live sacrificially in ways that you don't have to call out, you don't have to say, everybody, notice me, I'm sacrificing. That's not what we're talking about. But if you sacrifice by getting up early, if you sacrifice by taking on uh, tasks and, and burdens that are associated with the smooth running of the house, if you are willing to sacrifice what is preferable and pleasant and easy for you, like, you know what, the end of my long work day, my, my daughter's saying, Dad, can you help me with my math? And it's like, oh, I just wanted a break. Well, my daughter needs some help. You know what, let me do it and do it with a good attitude and not go, oh, okay, fine, get over here. Let's be quick about it. No, 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 a good attitude, a right spirit of service, another opportunity to pour oneself out. And then even just little sacrifices. Let me tell you, when you get a bunch of kids, do you know where you'll have plenty of chances to sacrifice? Food, <laughs> how much you take, when you eat, what you get, how much you get, the portion, uh, the the fact that you're going to leave behind the the, the more uh, succulent uh, options, and you're going to take something that's less preferable or less popular so that your kids can get more of the other one, boy, that is just a daily, almost daily. It's almost a daily opportunity. But do it in a way that doesn't draw attention to it. And you know what happens? Your kids will notice. 
your kids will recognize that, you know what, you prepared a plate for yourself and then all of a sudden you saw one of your kids come in and you're like, hey, I was just preparing this for you. Are you ready? Here you go. I thought you'd like this. And and the kids get it. The kids are like, oh, you just made that for yourself. And you're like, no, nah, I wasn't really hungry. This is really for you. I'm happy. I would enjoy it more if you had it than if I ate it. And And the kids know that. The kids know that that's part of me being a dad is that I'm willing to make the sacrifice for the kids. All right, so that, you know where I got that from? My parents. It's how my parents lived. They lived their lives sacrificially, dutifully. My dad did it in a, in a way that was incredibly dutiful. My mom did it in a way that was beautifully dutiful. And it was one of those things where they didn't make a fuss about it. It was just what you did. And it's funny because when I talk to my siblings and we reminisce and and then just it'll come up and it's it's one of those obvious ones. Gosh, you know, what did mom and dad teach us to do? It was work hard. Don't quit till the job is done. If you're gonna do the job, do it right. And it, you know, just those Simple principles for living took deep root in not only my life, but all my siblings' lives. And it wasn't like we had these profound dinner conversations where they said, this is how you live. It was just how they lived. And maybe now and again, if we were, you know, sloughing along and, and, and slogging along and falling behind, well, guess what? That was something that we needed to, um, it was something that we needed to be called out on. So that happened. So the idea of, of helping kids when it comes to um, dealing with failure and when it comes to falling short, this is a great gift. And this is where you can step in and learn how to deal with it yourself and pass it on to your kids. So dealing it with, with it yourself. Jesus said, whoever is dear to me, I reprove and chastise. Be earnest about it, therefore repent. Be earnest about it, therefore repent. We are called upon to repent. This is a season of penitence, of repentance, of feeling a deep sorrow and a disgust. That sin is still part of our lives. That sin still clings to us. This is not how I want to live. And so, when I fall short day to day, I fell short today in little things connected with my Lenten sacrifices. And when I did, it was embarrassing to me. I was personally embarrassed, even as I fell short of dying to self in a couple of instances. And when I reflected on it, and I was at Mass and I was reflecting on it, and I was like, Jesus, I was a man of good intentions, discerned intentions. I thought that this is what you're asking of me. And I was experiencing the grace to live these out. Why am I falling short, Lord? What is it that is, here's the word, here's, what is it that is revealed to me? and is only being revealed to me because I was striving for a higher level of living spiritually and fell short. 
Do you get it? I would not have been as aware. I would not have been as conscious. I wouldn't have recognized as much the way in which, the ways in which, the levels at which a lukewarm spirit is still alive in me. And so I can say I rejoice, not I rejoice that there are ways in which a lukewarm spirit lives in me, but what do I rejoice about? Oh man, I've beaten the bushes and the lukewarm spirit has jumped out. Now I know it's there. Now I know that there is a spiritual enemy in my own camp. I'm not talking about like a demonic spirit. I'm just talking about the flesh. I'm talking about the fallen dimension of my life that there's work to be done. There are weeds to be uprooted. There is still more work to be done. Whoever is dear to me, Jesus says, I reprove and chastise. Be earnest about it, therefore, and repent. And so I repented. And again, you've heard me talk about these three levels of repentance. You repent of the deed, you renounce the attitude, and you cry out to God to transform your mindset. Those are the three levels of repentance. You repent of the deed, the misdeed. You renounce the attitude, right? That's, the, that's something that's a deeper level. That's deeper level stuff. It's the whole way that you're oriented towards something. It's the way that you relate to something. You renounce those attitudes that are associated with um, lukewarm behaviors. But then the deepest level is how we see it. Remember now, we're blind, and so we need to receive the gift of sight. So that's where we say, Jesus, please grant me the gift of sight. I can't come to see what I'm not aware of, so please reveal to me my blindness. Lord, heal my blindness. Please, you do it. That's the deepest level of repentance, is crying out to the Lord to transform our minds so that we begin to see what is there but has been hidden from our own eyes. I'll tell the story just because it's a cutesy one. It's a real one. And it gets to that point of what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, coming to see where I was blind and how that led to repentance. And so I was praying earnestly that the Lord would reveal to me sins that are so deep in me that I'm blind to them. Lord, reveal to me the sin that I'm blind and I'm committing, right? Just just think about the fact that there are times when you're encountering people and you're seeing them in and, and group settings, social settings, and, and you're like, does that guy have any idea how he's coming across right now? Does he have any idea the attitude that is just, you know, kind of exuding out of this guy? And the answer is, no, he doesn't. He's blind. He's blind to it, most likely. He's blind to the way he's showing up right now. And so I'm like, Lord, there are ways that I'm showing up that are not very life-giving. They're not bringing the light, your light, into this world. So please, please reveal to me those sins that are so deeply rooted in my life that I'm blind to them. Please, Lord, I beg you, strip from my mind the blindness that exists of my own sin. So that's, that's what I prayed. And I begin to wonder, how is God going to do this? How is the Lord going to reveal to me the blindness that I have towards certain sins? Well, you know how he did it? He did it in a dream. Yes, that's right. 
Now, I'm not a dream guy. I'm not a guy that I have these like very vivid dreams of the Lord and, and prophetic things and uh, apparitions of saints and none of that, none of that. But I had a dream and I normally don't remember dreams, but this particular dream I remembered. <laughs> and it was a dream that revealed to me some hidden sins in my life. What were the sins and what was the dream? Well, I'll tell you about it in a minute on Sound Insight. So please stay tuned. Hey, welcome back to Sound Insight. So the Lord loves us enough this Lent to reveal to us those areas in our lives where we're blind. And we have to say, okay, Lord, I'll take you at your word. I am earnest I am so tired of lukewarmness in my life. I do not want to live with lukewarmness. And one way that, Lord, you're revealing that to me is through the Lenten obligations that I've I've made. Not the ones that I've made where I'm being successful, where they're bearing fruit, and I'm cruising right along and just saying, wow, Lord, you are so great. You've given me these graces, and I'm able to fast and pray and and extend myself in, in loving ways through almsgiving. This is really awesome, and I'm jumping from height to height. Yeah, no, no. There is a great revelation that comes to our lives when we strive with all our might to follow these penances and these acts of self-denial, and we fall short. There's a gift that is to be found there. However, if we are not experiencing that kind of revelation, we can ask the Lord for it. And so I did. Lord, please strip from my mind the blindness that exists to my own sin. And I had that dream. What was the dream? The dream was I was in a some kind of like department store and I was waiting in line to buy shoes. And I had a pair of shoes in my hand and I was waiting to be served. And so there was a person in front of me and I was getting agitated, I was getting a bit flustered, getting a bit upset that I had to wait. And then when that person in front of me, you know, finished, I went forward to the counter and put the shoes there. And the way that I was interacting with the salesperson was something that I was viewing at a distance. I was like, I had a bird's eye view watching how I was interacting with the clerk in the store and just the people that were around me. And it was ugly. It was just, in my dream, I can remember being disgusted. And I started to name how I was showing up. I was really, really condescending. I was acting in a way that was so like proud and arrogant and completely lacking in a sense of being kind and properly like friendly. And no, it was just marked by this proud condescension that was really arrogant and it was just ugly and all of a sudden I woke up I woke up and that next morning when I woke up I remembered this dream and it was again vividly remembered by me and that was so rare and I said Carrie I have to tell you about this dream and so I told her I told her about the shoes and the clerk and how I acted. And I said, Carrie, God was revealing to me my condescending spirit. 
God was revealing to me, and I had no idea how blind I was to being condescending and arrogant and proud. And Carrie said, yeah, I could have told you that a long time ago. (laughs) She did. Oh, and I'm like, why didn't you? And she was like, I don't know. I probably didn't think you could hear it. Ooh, yes. Isn't that the truth? One of the important principles in spiritual direction that I learned from my spiritual director by being directed by him had to do with awareness or consciousness, the way that a truth lives in someone, that there's a timing to things, that there's a process to things, that there's a certain kind of experience that someone has to have before they can receive the wisdom that you're sharing. You might hear the words, but you won't get it. And so I can remember sharing with Father Noonan, I think it had something to do with the idea that I was trying to earn God's love. And in subtle ways, I was uh, performing all of these holy deeds, these spiritual works, because I felt at some deep level that I was not lovable, and I wouldn't be loved if I wasn't performing all of these spiritual things. And when I shared with him that insight that this was alive in me and that the Lord was leading me to come into a kind of relationship with him that was marked by simply being loved because of who he is. He's love and he loves me and he simply asks me to allow him to love me and to receive that love and that he would begin to unbind and set me free from the impulse inside of me to earn his love. And Father Newton said, yeah, that was really obvious to me very early on in our spiritual direction, that you had that mentality. And and, and when I asked him, why, why didn't you tell me? He said, I could have told you the words. I could have said these words to you, but you would not have understood them. You would not have understood them because they weren't alive, they wouldn't have been received at you in a place inside your consciousness, inside your your, uh, inner self that would have said, yes, your words are a, a flashlight, a spotlight, a laser beam that is breaking open something that is deeply at work in my heart. I didn't have that consciousness. And so, okay, track back with me here. Right? When Carrie said, well, I could have told you that years ago, she probably did, but I couldn't hear it. I couldn't hear it. I I was deaf to it. I couldn't see it. I was blind to it. And it was God's mercy. It was God's mercy that he loves me that much to reveal to me those places where I fall short. Are you willing to ask for that? Please think about that. If you want to grow in the spiritual life, if you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, a really critical part is to give Jesus permission to speak a word like he spoke to the church in Laodicea. To be able to reveal to us the truth that he knows our deeds. 
And he knows that there are places in our lives where we are lukewarm, settling for less, falling short because of the comfort of the riches that are in our lives that make us want to choose what is soft and comfortable and easy rather than doing the difficult good, sacrificing and undertaking hardships because of what the Lord is calling us to. And that would, in fact, cleanse us of our cowardice to give us the courage to stand up and be salt, light, and leaven in this world, to surrender our willingness to find our security in our stuff, our riches, rather than recognizing that our true security is found in Jesus Christ and in the riches, the spiritual riches that are associated with his kingdom and living under the almighty, merciful hand of our loving Father and following the lead of his Holy Spirit alive in our hearts. And if we are not aware of the lukewarmness that it still exists in us, then guess what? We are poor, blind, wretched, pitiable creatures. But Jesus loves us enough to invite us into a Lenten journey. You still have a week. You still have a week in this Lenten journey to give him space, to ask him, to beg him to reveal to you the blindness that exists in your own life to the brokennesses and the sins. Very early on in the program, I gave you some categories that you could pray about, categories that might be areas where lukewarmness exists. The mind, the will, the, uh, the passions, and in the flesh dimension of our lives. So our intellect becomes clouded, our will is weakened, our passions are disordered, and concupiscence exerts itself in our lives. Those are four areas where blindness can set in, and, luke, and lukewarmness can be the result. So, let's dig into these four aspects of how it is the Lord will love us and ask us to be earnest in our repentance so that we can deal with those places in our lives where we are falling short. Remember now, I also said that as you undertake this yourself, you actually are going to become more equipped to help your kids as they are facing situations in their lives where they too are falling short and settling for less. And they may not even name it betraying the Lord, betraying Jesus, betraying that relationship. They might just say doing things that they hate themselves and they become hateful to themselves. So let's dig further into this after the break on Sound Insight. I'll be back. All right, welcome back to Sound Insight. Getting some spiritual direction here about the life of prayer. The last few days I've been talking about prayer, talking about growing in a relationship with Jesus, talking about really entering into this reality that in Lent, Jesus Christ wants to appear bigger in and through our lives and that we make room and that we are... Um, undergoing a pruning and an uprooting of sin, sinful attitudes and sinful ways of seeing things. And the Lord is all about that work. And part of the mercy that happens, part of the grace that happens in the Lenten season is the great exposure, the great revelation of areas in our lives where we're lukewarm and we're just blind to it. 
where we think we're rich and want for nothing, but we're actually wretched, pitiable, and poor. Letter to Laodicea. So I'm saying to you that these four areas where we can do battle, where we are blind and the Lord will help us see, are our minds. And so what happens in our minds? If we talk about a blindness, well, it most properly is suited to and connected to the life of our minds. Because it's the mind that is what? That has this light. The light of faith is going to shine forth how we see things. How we see things is connected to our minds. What is really there? The judgment we have about, well, how we're living. How's your judgment about how you're living? Don't tell me what's important to you. Do not tell me what's important to you. Let me walk around and see how you live how you spend your time, what you think about, what you do, what you avoid doing, what you say. If we could get just a running tape of that, we'd get a pretty clear picture, pretty stark picture, a plain to see, there's the word, about what's important to us. So when we pray, Lord, reveal to me my blindness. Lord, I, I, I am earnest in my repentance. I want to see. The, the first and principal area that we're talking about is, Lord, please enlighten my mind. Enlighten my mind. Enlighten my intellect. I want to see. Blind man Bartimaeus, what, what, could, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus said, Luke 18, 35 to 43. Lord, I want to see. Pray for that. Lord, I want to see. I want to see I'm tired of clouded thinking, thinking that doesn't penetrate to the core. I'm tired of living without insight. Please, I want to see. And one of the things we'll come to see is how we see things like money, how we see things like reputation, how we see things like what ought to be expected of us regarding how we live our lives, vacation versus vocation, toil and hardship and sacrificial works of, and, and ways of living versus enjoyment, entertainment, soft and comfortable ways of living our lives. Pretty challenging stuff. Jesus loves us enough. Whoever is dear to me, I reprove and chastise. If you didn't hear a word of reproof and chastisement, you know what you might conclude? Jesus is not really loving me very well. He's not loving me as well as he could because I'm not feeling very chastised about the life I'm living. Well, I can't say that anymore this Lent. <laughs> Lord Jesus, love me a little less. I, I, I'm joking. What am I saying? I'm saying Jesus is doing a pretty good job revealing to me that letter to the Laodicea, later to see you keep saying I'm so rich and secure and I want for nothing. Little do you realize how wretched you are, how pitiable and poor, how blind and naked. Yes, Lord, please, whoever's dear to me, I reprove and chastise, be earnest therefore and repent. So I repent, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the grace to see. Do you dare? Do you dare not? How do you not pray this prayer? Lord, I want to see. Okay, second, it's not just the intellect. One of the greatest places where we come to see is regarding our will and the weakness of the will. The weakness of the will is what? I will not eat that candy. I will not eat that candy. I will not eat that candy. Can I sneak two candies because no one's looking? I will get up early and pray. I will get up early and pray. I will get up early and pray. I will shut off the alarm clock, turn over, and go back to sleep. 
I will get off the couch and make it to Mass this morning. I will get off the couch and make it to Mass this morning. I will hang around and talk so long that I'm going to be too late for Mass, and then I have a reason not to go. I will not think those evil thoughts. I will not think those evil thoughts. I will not think those evil thoughts. I'm enjoying those evil thoughts. Right? The weakness of the will. And guess where we come to experience the great revelation of how weak our wills are in our Lenten obligations, especially fasting. Especially fasting. I will fast from using my phone. I will fast from using social media. I will fast from playing chess online. I will sneak a quick game of chess online when no one's looking. I will use Facebook, the only app that I have left on there because of the posting I do for my real estate work and my ministry work. I will, ooh, use that as a backdoor to be able to enjoy a couple of basketball videos. Ouch. Wow. Am I really that weak in my will that I can't even be able to access that one social media app to because of the the authentic reasons that I, I left it on the phone? Really? Fasting. I will not drink coffee. I will not drink coffee. I will not drink coffee. You know, that's really hard. I think it's okay to have some coffee. I don't want to be too hard on myself. Ouch. Okay, so how else are we going to know how weak our will is except by exerting it? As we discern, this is what the Lord is asking of us in our Lenten obligation. Be earnest about it, therefore, Tom, and repent. So I said to you this is important for you in your own life, but this is also important as parents. Why? Because if your kids are engaged in the spiritual journey at all, if the kids are walking with you in the spiritual journey at all, you know what they're going to bump up against? The fact that they can't do it on their own. They cannot with their own strength, their own planning, their own strategizing, their own working it out. They're not going to be able to do it. They don't have what it takes. They don't have the inner maturity, the human formation, to be able to exert themselves to undergo rigorous ascetical practices and dying to self, they won't. And so what do they do when they fall short? It's easy just to collapse like a house of cards and then just say, well, if I gave in on that, might as well give in on everything else. No, that's where you have to step in. And say, so you see, the Lord is, hey, he's, he's giving you a gift. He's, I know that doesn't feel like a gift. It doesn't feel like it. That failure does not feel good at all. No, but he, he, he wants to reveal an area that he wants you to work on. He's revealing an area that is not easy for you to face. He, see how much he loves you? He wants you to realize that there's still work to do. And, and this is what he's doing. He's, in Lent, he's putting these challenges in front of you. He's walking with you. And he's, he's saying, don't rely on your own strength. Rely on me. Don't rely on your own strength. Turn to me and I'll give you grace. I'll give you strength. I will give you the graces you need to be able to undergo this, to be able to push through this. But you're going to do this relying on me. And you're going to grow in your relationship with me. And when you're falling short, I'm going to give you insight into vices that are clinging to you. Wow, what a gift. Do you get this? Your kids are not going to know this. They are not going to know this. You've got to bring this to them. You've got to teach them. You've got to talk to them. But it only makes sense if you and they are undergoing spiritual disciplines together. Then it's not just Herculean efforts that get you through. No, it's the grace of God that gets you through. And when you fall short, you turn back to God. You ask for mercy. And you say, thank you, Lord, for revealing to me 
those places in my life that need to change. So we got the dark intellect, we got the weak will, disordered passions. Oh my goodness, that is an easy one. It's not just a weak will, it's that we've got passions that say, I do love God, but boy, I, I, I love TV more. Well, at least in terms of the feeling. Oh, the passions, the emotional pulls, the tugs. And so we find the conflict of the tugs. I want to eat that junk food, but I said no to it, so I want to honor what I've, the, the Lord has asked of me. But boy, I also am drawn to that easy comfort food. And so Lent will reveal the disordering of the passions. And boy, is there something that you want to teach your kids today? It's moderation. It's temperance. It's the capacity to, to walk the path of virtue when you're faced with intense human emotions, the appetites of the flesh, especially with regards to the internet. My gosh, entertaining videos, uh, funny uh, or unfortunately immodest and impure videos, they just get thrown, bombarded, bombarded at our kids at every turn, and they're just going to get shocked and their innocence will be wiped away and, and they'll be struck with these memories that just are just leading them into bondage. And that's not what you want to have happen. You want that chastity. So chastise my my passions, Lord, so that I have good, healthy ordering of my passions. And then there's, so you have the darkened intellect, the weakened will, the disordered passions, and concupiscence. That's that urge towards sin. As our kids are realizing that there is an urge towards sin in our lives, we want to deny that, die to that, and we want to develop the urge towards God. And that's what Lent is also doing is it unveils that urge towards sin that's in our lives and the fact that we've got to battle against it. And we've got to nurture that urge towards God, that desire for God, and that will grow in us. That's being a parent, man. That's walking the path of uh, uh, Christ, this this Lent. Thank you, Jesus, for Revelation chapter 3 and for the gift of repentance. All right. God bless you all. Join me tomorrow with Kerry on a Faith and Family Friday in Lent. For more sound insight.